Dog Days of Podcasting, Day 25, Friday, August 28th, 2020. Today's topic, the 2000-2010 swine flu, and also the evolution of viruses. Interestingly, I got some of the information for this from a BuzzFeed article that came out just yesterday when I was working on it, putting on the finishing touches. The 2009 H1N1 swine flu pandemic lasted for about 19 months, from January of 2009 to August of 2010. This virus resulted from a previous triple reassortment of bird, swine, and human flu viruses further combined with a Eurasian pig flu virus, leading to the term swine flu. It's possible a billion people were affected, roughly 15% of the world's population at that time. Maybe 284,000 died from it. This is right in line with an average flu season, actually. The swine flu was no more deadly than an average flu season, However, this flu did not preferentially attack older people as the seasonal flu tends to do. The 2009 flu targeted the young rather than the old, with 85% of deaths occurring to people younger than age 60. The elderly, elderly turned out to have a greater immunity due to childhood infections with a distantly related H1N1 flu strain. It was particularly hard on chronically ill children. Given that the average age of swine flu victims were younger than for your average seasonal flu, more life years were lost in the swine flu pandemic than average. Even in the case of previously healthy people, a small percentage developed pneumonia or acute respiratory distress syndrome. This manifested itself as increased breathing difficulty and typically occurred three to six days after initial onset of flu symptoms. The pneumonia caused by swine flu is either direct viral pneumonia or a secondary bacterial, secondary bacterial pneumonia. The CDC used names like novel influenza A, H1N1, or 2009 H1N1 flu. But besides swine flu, others called it pig flu, the Netherlands, North American flu, some organizations in Europe, Mexican virus, Israel and South Korea. In Israel, objections stem from sensitivity to religious restrictions on eating pork in the Jewish and Muslim populations. In South Korea, concerns were influenced by the importance of pork and domestic pigs. It had been first considered that the flu arose from pig factory farms in Mexico. In fact, in 2016, it was shown that it came not from factory farms, but from pigs from a from a small region in Mexico. The earliest known human case was traced to a case from March 3rd, 2009 in a five-year-old boy in La Gloria, Mexico, a rural town in Veracruz. The Mexican government closed most of Mexico City's public and private facilities in an attempt to contain the spread of the virus. However, it continued to spread globally and clinics in some areas were overwhelmed by infected people. It was completely incorrect that eating pig products could give you the disease. But I think I actually recall people uh, being quite fearful of eating pork and bacon just because of the name. Like most flu viruses, it was typically contracted by person-to-person -person transmission through respiratory droplets. 
Symptoms usually lasted four to six days. Antivirals were recommended for those with more severe symptoms or those in an at-risk group. The pandemic began to taper off in November of 2009, and by May 2010, the number of cases was in steep decline. So why was swine flu so worrisome? First, it spread very quickly globally, and although it was not that deadly, it did kill young folks more than the average flu. Secondly, also the regular seasonal vaccines were not effective, and while it was type H1N1 already known, this particular H1N1 strain represented a unique combination of influenza viruses, combination of influenza viruses never before seen in humans or animals. Clinical trials of H1N1 swine H1N1 vaccines began in July of 2009, just months after the outbreak, just three months after with federal officials planning to have 100, uh, this is in the United States, I think, with federal officials planning to have 120 million doses for a rollout. But since the flu virus is heavily seasonal, cases faded in the Northern Hemisphere with summer, and with it, public concern over the virus faded as well. By August, a poll found that only 40% of parents planned to get the H1N1 shot for their children. Meanwhile, right-wing radio host Rush Limbaugh and comedian Bill Mayer were among those bad-mouthing the risks of the rapidly developed vaccine, raising unfounded fears. The U.S. swine H1N1 vaccine was just as safe as the regular flu shot subsequent studies have shown. On March on August 5, 2009, the U.S. began administering a newly approved swine H1N1 vaccine to select Americans with vaccination coverage expanding nationwide by that December. Due to rushing to create a vaccine, the summer lull in cases and the negative attacks from anti-Obama forces, fewer people took the vaccine than hoped for. In the end, while 40% of adults got the single shot for the seasonal flu, only 23% were vaccinated against H1N1. Obama, who was 42 days into his administration when the swine flu surfaced, was accused of botching the vaccine rollout, but many disagreed. The Obama administration response to H1N1 was well run, University of Michigan medical historian Howard Howard Markle stated, featuring regular updates from medical officials to the public and producing a vaccine in record time. There really was terrific communication and coordination between state, local, and federal health officials, said Markle, who sat on an outside expert panel monitoring the response as it happened. Between April 12, 2009 and April 10, 2010, the CDC estimates estimates swine flu caused 60.8 million illnesses, 273,000 hospitalizations, and over 12,000 deaths in the U.S. These numbers could have been much reduced had more taken the vaccine. Okay, so enough on the swine flu uh, business itself. On to another really fascinating topic, which is how do viruses evolve, or how do they live on, or how do they persist through the decades? Did you catch that I said the swine flu was H1N1? Where did you hear that before? 
Yes, in episode 17 about the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. The swine flu was the Spanish flu. Okay, not exactly, but, well, yes, it kind of was. What's going on? Back in episode 20, uh, the 1957 Asian flu, we learned of two key proteins among several, several that flu viruses have, H and N. The genes that code for H and N mutate between seasons, producing slightly different proteins. This is seasonal drift, and it's why we tend to need a new flu shot every year. However, if these genes mutate enough and produce a significantly different protein, that new virus is a significantly different version of that strain, or it can be a new strain altogether. And it's different in its characteristics for that virus, the symptoms, the transmission, the mortality, etc. And it may need different treatment methods and a totally new type of vaccine. Tweaking older versions may not be enough. Thus, H1N1 is a different strain than, say, H2N2. Here's a list of some important flu strains. 1918 Spanish flu, H1N1. That was episode 17. 1957 Asian flu, H2N2. That was episode 20. 1968 Hong Kong flu, H3N2. That was episode 21. The 2009 swine flu, H1N1 slash 09. 09 meaning 2009 version of H1N1. The 1899 Russian flu. They believe now it was either H3N8 or H2N2. That was episode 16. If you're wondering why that earlier flu has uh, those numbers, I believe it the the... The flu types were worked out first for the Spanish flu. That was given H1N1, so everything was based upon that. So later they had to kind of work out what 1899 Russian flu was. By the way, these are all influenza A viruses. There are also B flu viruses that affect humans, C flu viruses that affect humans but only cause mild illnesses, and D flu viruses that are pre- pre- that primarily affect cattle. Typical seasonal viruses are caused by influenza A and B. For example, versions of type A, H1N1, and H3N2 are now common seasonal viruses. Yes, H1N1, the Spanish flu virus, hits us often. It's usually not as lethal as it once was. The H1N1 swine flu, though, was a significant variation. Strains or subtypes such as H1N1 or H2N2 can further be divided into clades and subclades, giving more variations within strains. Thus, the 1918 Spanish and the 2009 swine versions of H1N1. A couple of other significant strains have surfaced since 1996. The highly pathogenic avian influenza virus h 5N1 has caused more than 1,000 deaths, resulting in a mortality rate of about 55%. Also, a low pathogenic avian influenza H7N9, identified first in the East China region, caused an outbreak in human with a mortality rate as high as 40%. I did not take the time to dig into those two particular flu viruses. Besides mutation, reassortment is a method by which new strains can come into being. 
Thus, two or more flu strains can trade or mix and match genes, giving rise to new versions of a strain or a totally new strain. Pigs tend to be a good place for this mixing to happen as an intermediary of sorts between birds and humans. I am sure I'm grossly oversimplifying that. I found a couple of long technical papers about this. No, I did not try to read them closely. But I did find a super cool graphic by the author of a paper from Jeffrey Taubenberger from the Department of Molecular Pathology, Armed Forces Institute of Pathology in Rockville, Maryland from a 2010 paper in the journal Cell Host Microbe. This really fascinating chart traces everything from a, from a proposed avian flu gene pool. So everything starts with birds having a variety of flu viruses and everything else will come from that. So get ready to go for a, a ride because this is really crazy. From this avian flu gene pool via infection of a human came the 1918 Spanish H1N1 virus. The 1918 Spanish H1N1 virus infected pigs, creating the North American swine H1N1 virus that sat around in pigs for a very long time. Do not forget it. I will come back in 1996 to that. Meanwhile, the 1918 Spanish Spanish H1N1 virus also recombined with more avian flu genes to create the 1957 Asian H2N2 virus. The 1957 Asian H2N2 virus combined with yet more avian flu genes to create the 1968 Hong Kong H3N2 virus, after which the H2N2 virus appears to have went extinct. Whew, okay. The original 1918 Spanish H1N1 virus, having laid dormant for decades, re-emerged in 1977 to become a seasonal flu. Hello, Spanish flu, my old friend. Okay, now it actually gets complex. In 1979, a pig in Europe got infected by avian flu genes and created the Eurasian swine H1N1, Hold that in your head for a moment. In 1996, there was a triple reassortment mentioned earlier, whereby pigs with the North American swine H1N1 virus, remember that, were infected simultaneously by the 1968 Asian H3N2 virus and yet more avian flu genes to create swine H1N2. The 1968 Asian H3N2 virus became a seasonal flu after that. This new swine H1N2 apparently didn't infect anyone until 2009, when those pigs were infected with, with that Eurasian swine H1N1 virus from 1979. Do you remember that? To give us, voila, the 2000 swine flu H1N1 pandemic. If you followed all of that, well done. Tomorrow, I think we'll talk about Ebola.